Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Hi everyone, uh, welcome back to this week's episode of The Waiting List. Um, today we welcome back Cameron uh, for part two of his interview. And one of the main reasons why we wanted Cam back on, not only because, you know, we had such a lovely time chatting, is because if you guys remember, uh, Long Long wasn't able to make it for the last episode. And, um, you know, because you speak so eloquently and and have so many fun stories to share, we all here love a good story. Um, And of course, Cameron is the host of his own podcast, Collector's Gene Radio, which you guys can check out on um, Apple Podcasts. Some of his um, notable guests include uh, Todd Levin. Am I pronouncing that name right? Uh, Roni, uh, Eric Wind, and... Of course, yours truly. Um, but uh, no, so, we want to. So who, who's yours truly? Is it some like small potato? Like that yeah. isn't even that. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, Who's yours truly? Anybody that's been in the Rob Report, like covered like that, mm. isn't really yours truly. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> start starting early. <laughs> thanks, thanks, guys. Um, Do you but have no... your background blurred because you need to get your head through the door. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, my background is blurred because, yeah, we're not going to get into that. I need to move. That's that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, let's start from the first question, which is, you know, can you share with us uh, because you interview so many, you know, interesting guests and you were just telling us about one off camera. Um, what's like a latest story you recently heard or encountered that has left an impression? Um. I recently interviewed a gal by the name of Mary Randolph Carter. She's a creative director for Ralph Lauren, and she's written a ton of books on collecting. Um, And she is a, the epitome of a collector. I mean, she collects what she calls junk, um, which if you look at her photos, a lot of us would consider it junk too, but she finds the beauty in all of these things. So She's the person that's at these flea markets buying old gardening tools, and she's not a gardener. She buys all these kitchen tools. She doesn't cook, but she collects all these things. Um, and obviously, she has a very high-level position at a big corporation, public corporation. So when it comes to collecting, a lot of these people can really have a lot of things and whatever they choose to buy, uh, money, no object sometimes, um, whether that's her or not. But she posted a picture a couple of weeks ago of uh, a painting that um, I think it was her nephew did. And uh, just this little kind of like kitty drawing and stuff like that. And I was talking to her and she's like, yeah, of course I could. Or of course I want to buy a Georgia O'Keeffe painting, but would I much rather have a million of these from my nephew? Of course there's sentiment there, but um, I think the difference is, is that there's more of a story behind that stuff. And so that was really interesting. And then just one more was um, Paul Feig. Uh, He wrote and directed Bridesmaids and like every episode of The Office. And uh, anyone who's in the sartorial world knows him because of the rake. And when I asked him, I always ask these questions at the end. You know, the first question is, what's the one that got away? 
And he tells this story about how he had this walking stick that he accidentally left on the airplane. And while the story was short and sweet, the idea behind that was someone else probably found it. And 95% chance they probably just threw it away without knowing what it was, whose it was. Um, It was obviously something special. So I thought that that was kind of an interesting story and definitely made me look at collecting things a little bit differently. That's really interesting because when you said that, my mind quickly drifted back to like this scarf that I lost on a plane. And I just, it was a scarf I bought in Europe. And um, I was thinking not, you know, someone trashed it, but like, damn, what a lucky person who got my scarf. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If someone like came into your house and found something of yours, it could be anything and um that they would just be like okay this is junk or rubbish like rubbish i'm just gonna throw it away what would it be that's a good question oh man that is a great question um i i love collecting um and i got this from my grandmother actually she collects these just decanters from the beginning of time (laughs) and um she's kind of got me hooked so i have a few decanters and most people would look at them and be like Okay, if it's just a piece of glass, you know, but when you know what it is or the sentiment behind it, that's probably something that people would never think twice about. Or um, another thing is like a set of coasters that I have Mm -hmm. that are just these old Italian coasters. They're glass and silver, and nobody would ever look at them twice and be like, these are special. You know, they'd be Mm -hmm. like, oh, did you get those from Amazon or? (laughs) Prime yesterday and (laughs) stuff, stuff like that. Um, I think holds a lot of sentiment to me for reasons that probably wouldn't for other people. All right. Cool. What would it be for you? For me? I don't know. I was thinking about this because I kind of feel like I've, especially after moving to Hong Kong. So about like seven years ago, I think I've learned to become like, I only keep stuff that I actually use a lot. So I've started to like create all these spaces in my house specifically, like I don't wear this and then this goes into this pile and then I'll be like, I need to get rid of it. So that hasn't been something that I'm like, someone will come in and be confused. I mean, the closest thing I could think of is all my journals. I think they'll just be like, what is this rubbish? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, I have this, um, old Chinese, uh, Cinnabar box Mm -hmm. and it, uh, a couple of years ago, my mom and my uh, little niece were playing and it fell off the table and like the corner broke off. And I was so upset at the time. Um, and I lost my mom a, a year and a half ago and I still have the box. And now I used to be so upset about it. Now I look at it and it puts a smile on my face because it reminds me of her and my niece playing in, in our previous home and and all that sort of stuff. So that's probably something that someone would be like, this is broken. Throw throw this out. Please buy a new one. <laughs> <laughs> Would you would you consider yourself um and I should know this because I I'm a psych major but I can't think of the term on the top of my head but like association are, are are you like do you associate certain locations and and people and things with objects uh because a lot of people, times yes yeah. yeah but a lot of times like my favorite thing to do on the weekends is 
is go to antique stores. And my wife is like, what is wrong with you? Like, you don't want to just sit inside and watch a movie. I'm like, no, let's go see what, 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 you know, what's new at this store. She's like, we just went yesterday. (laughs) So, um, you know, those situations where I just go and I kind of get lost in a store and I find something, no. But when I do that with my grandmother, um, because I don't, you know, see her all that often. So when I go, we always make it a point because she loves this stuff to go and do that. So if I find something, I'll remember, you know, like I have a, this old silver bowl that's engraved from a country club down the street from where she lives in New York. And it's engraved to this lady from the 1970s who hit a hole in one. So this was like this trophy bowl that they gave her for hitting a hole in one, which is the craziest thing in the world. And now I use it as like a nut bowl or like a dish when friends come over. <laughs> so. No, that's I, have another, I have another question, actually, because you brought up your wife. I kind of thought about like how girls like accumulate a lot of makeup and they start to buy a lot of lipstick, especially. But then you're never going to be like, are you a lipstick collector? <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So do you think like collecting needs to be intentional so you say okay I'm going to start collecting coasters today or you just collect a bunch of stuff and then one day someone's like are you like a coaster collector right I think um I think you can look at anything as a collection if you wanted to right if you love lipstick enough Mm -hmm. and you want to go and buy a million pairs of lipstick and you have them over several years and you there's obviously this thing that um people have when they buy lipstick that they hold on to it for so long right like you open up a lipstick drawer and you hold on to it for so what is the attachment that you can't just get rid of the lipstick? Like there's something there that just lazy to get <laughs> that's possibly it. But you know, there's something like my wife has um lipstick and makeup that my mom gave her. And oh. she probably wouldn't say that she's a makeup or lipstick collector, but she will hold on to that for forever. Right. Mm. So, but I think if you want to be a collector of something, then you want to have the intention of of collecting something or you like something enough, right? You can absolutely say it's a collection. If it's just very Mm -hmm. passive, then no. But I think you can collect anything. And that's what I try and impress upon people with with Collectors Gene Radio is that it doesn't matter about value, right? Just because I collect watches and and rare coffee table books and, and vintage barware or new barware price no matter what, doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you have to collect or there's a price value that makes you a collector. So. Okay. Uh, two questions. First, it's kind of random, but it, when you said you collected barware or like really rare coffee table books, you get, you buy them online, you get them shipped, right? Correct. Do you ever have the fear that you find something so rare and you've been chasing after for a long time? And then when you get a shift, do you ever have the fear that it gets lost in the transit and what you will do? If- I know this is a sore subject for you because it's happened to you before. And um, <laughs> I uh, with books, with books, no, because the books that I'm buying aren't these um you know, 18th, 19th century books. I'm buying coffee table books that are maybe fairly new, but out of production in the last Mm -hmm. 15, 20 years. Um, Or even new books that are just sold out at other places. They're not necessarily rare, but they're things that I want. Mm -hmm. Um, I get more worried. Uh, I had this gentleman on on the podcast. His name's Glenn Spiro. And he's a big time uh, gem collector, dealer, for Beyonce, Jay-Z, I mean, you name it, like he is, he is the guy. 
And he did a book with Asseline. You should have said for Oprah, Lala would have wet herself. I know. Like, my new best friend. Okay. <laughs> so he's got the most incredible stuff. And so Asseline did a book on him. And I slept on it and the book went out and sold out out of production. And I had him on the podcast and we were just talking about it. And he's like, oh, I'm going to send you one. And a lot of people say that stuff a lot. And you never mm. always expect things to show up. And then all mm. of a sudden, a week later, I get a package at my door of this book still wrapped up. And to me, that is far more rare than some of the rare books that I've bought, you know? Yeah. Cool. Okay. My second question uh where do you draw the line between collecting and hoarding that was what i was (laughs) thinking as well i think um i've never had the i guess idea of hoarding something i've collected things since i was a little kid i used to collect toy cars i used to collect like rocks when i was even younger than that i used to collect all sorts of weird stuff um and most people would think I was a hoarder because when it comes to toy cars or action figures, when you're a kid or Pokemon cards or whatever it may be, they're not really that utilitarian, you know? So you could look at somebody as a hoarder for that. I think you become a hoarder when you have all these things and just push everything to a corner and you walk into somebody's home and it's just like, there's no rhyme or reason. It's, it, it feels unorganized. You know, I, I look at that Mary Randolph Carter um, gal who does have all this junk and she embraces that word junk, but she purposefully creates this clutter in her home. Right. So she's, she has this aesthetic that she's built around it. So you don't walk in her home and you're like, Oh my gosh, what is going on in here? Right. You could see her home online in interviews that she's done. You're like, Oh, you've found a way to bring all these things into your home that were placed in a cluttered way, probably in an antique store at a flea market. And you've made it beautiful in your own home. I think, it becomes clutter when you legit have no space for things. So you're just, you're not taking care of the things that you bought or that you care about and you're just pushing it to the side. Mm -hmm. And then for your new home, because you just moved. Yes. um, You were telling us a little bit about it off camera. What is the ideal um, setup for you? Do you have any ideas on how you want to decorate your home with what you've collected through the years. Yeah, I think um, ideally, you know, I have probably over a hundred coffee table books that I somehow found room for in our, in our last place. And now I'm trying to do things a little bit more purposefully here. So if I can't put them all out, sometimes it's fun to rotate things. And I kind of relate that to like changing your watch strap, right? It keeps things fresh. It keeps things fun. I have so many great books that I forgot that I had. And when I was packing them up, I was like, Oh, I should, maybe put this one a little bit closer to the front or, you know, this one on this table. So um, thankfully we have a lot more space than we did at our last place. So I'm sure I'll find some room, but uh, I've definitely enlisted the help of, of some friends to help do some design work that, um, that know this stuff a little bit better than I do, even though I love design and interior and architecture and all that stuff. um, I'm working with a little bit of a bigger canvas now. So it's, it's not as easy, but I think, I think having them on display, like I did before for people to recognize, cause that was always so fun for me when people would come over and they're like, what are all these books, you know? And I'm like, well, 
this is every John Goldberger book that's ever been written. You have, you don't know about this guy, but let me teach you about him. And I show them the books and like, holy crap, this guy owns all these watches. And, and who is he? He's Howell and he's in Italy and he's the biggest collector of what, and you know, so it's fun for me to teach friends and family about all these things that I love that I care about. Um, and so I'm sure I'll find some, some space here. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, like, cause I'm just listening to you speak and you've been, because you've interviewed so many like big names such as Paul Feig, um, and other like, you know, big collectors, like the one who lives on top of the Amon Venice for mm. these people, have you kind of realized the theme about, you know, it's very, uh, collecting central, but a part of collecting is also letting go for a lot of people. Have they shared any insights about the other side of collecting, which is making room for other objects in uh, that are forthcoming and, and about to you know come into their lives? Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the people that I've interviewed have been blessed to never have to let go of anything. Um, but then you have someone like Nate Burkus, right? Who has all this vintage furniture and he's got multiple homes himself, but he also sells a lot of his own vintage furniture. So he's got all these amazing pieces. And if he can't find a space for them in one of his homes, you know, he has his own first dibs page or a cherish page and you can go and buy his own furniture. So I always ask people who sell things in the same vein in which they work. And it's like, what is that struggle like of letting things go? And of course it sucks. There's no doubt it sucks, right? Like it sucks if I've ever had to sell a watch, right? I would have, I would love to keep all the watches I've ever owned, but sometimes you move up and you move on. And, but I think when it comes to things, for example, like furniture, um, for him, it's like he could easily find, if anyone could do it, it's him, find a way to make all these things work in his home. But he's created the space that he loves already and with all the with a, a group of things that he loves so he's okay letting go and he wants to see it go to good homes for example right i think that that's where the satisfaction comes in of letting go of pieces of your collection if you just go to a store and you sell something that you love and you never see it again you don't know how they're going to treat it they may piecemeal it together you know a piece of furniture they may take a marble top and put it on a different frame or anything like that i think that that's the hard part is giving something away that's beautiful, just knowing that it's going to go into a, you know, a, a, a Frankenstein booth. Um, so I think knowing when something goes to the right home helps ease that idea of letting go, you know? Mm -hmm. um, have you ever seen people actually move away from collecting a certain thing? Absolutely. Um, people get bored of stuff, you know, and, and uh, especially, watches and cards. Some mm -hmm. people are just like, I just am taking a break from this stuff. It's, yeah. it's great. I still love it. I still have things, but I'm not actively looking anymore. I'm kind of content with what I have and it doesn't mean I'm done forever. It just means that I'm just taking a little bit of a break or I'm searching for something new that I want to collect. Right. And you mm -hmm. see that a lot with watches and people trying to go mm -hmm. into things like cars and art um, and wine and all these really, really valuable, tangible assets. Um, that's when you see a lot of people taking a backseat to something when they're mm -hmm. feeling content and then moving 
to a different position. Mm-hmm. To be honest, that's kind of the place I'm at right now. If I had to summarize, yeah. I recently, I've recently had um, you know, some conversations with myself, and I looked at the things I've um collected over the past, you know, three years, and. I feel like we've had this conversation before, you know, certainly amongst the three of us, like I did ask, like, do you ever get burned out? How do you recover from that? I feel like I'm kind of burned out right now. Um, And a big part of the joy that I derive from watches and social media is, is photography. So now like when I post, I, I, I try to, you know, pay extra attention to the angle, the lighting, the 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 contrast um and and the watch is is more you know i think i realized a lot of my captions started getting longer and all longer because mm-hmm. i'm i'm trying to convey you know the, the story and and the the research i've put behind you know finding a certain watch or whatnot mm-hmm. um but yeah i i feel like yeah and you know what like I think it also happens when other big life moments happen, right? Like you just had a massive graduation and um, congratulations, of course, but that was a big life moment. So there's a lot going on, you know, I I just moved. So my focus is like where, where I spent free time looking at watches and stuff like that throughout the day and evening, I'm now looking at cool vintage furniture that I want to buy. So now watches are taking a backseat, which is totally fine. Um, because this is also fun for me and I love this stuff, but I think when some, you also have these big life moments that happen and it does give you kind of like a cleanse from the things that you do extra, you know, spend extra curricular hours on and, and that's okay. You'll, you'll be back. We know you, you'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) Your watch collecting days are going nowhere. (laughs) Well, yeah, no, I mean, the people and the memories I've made are great. It's just the i don't want to say burned out because you know it's kind of like a negative word with a lot of you know negative connotations but it's it's at some point you reach a certain threshold and there's not much to look forward to or that excites you all that much and and you're just at least for me i'm trying to be content with Mm -hmm. what i have and you know the saying like yeah you're never gonna be you know content because the next the best piece is the one that you're not gonna get until you're gonna you're you get that and then the honeymoon phase kind of passes away and then you get bored of that and then you chase for the next thing so for me now i'm just trying to really like be very zen um be you know and and yeah. and be happy be happy with with what i have and funnily enough i watched a, a interview by i think vogue uh, or sorry complex china um you know complex the the media uh yeah sure. outlet. and then they were interviewing the editor in chief of vogue asia or vogue china is this girl named leslie sun yeah, and um her. did you watch the yeah, the art collection video yeah. It's oh my so god well, and right yeah right it's great and when i watched it actually made me think of you cam and, and collector's dream radio because i feel like i mean you should get her on i feel like she would be a perfect perfect candidate for you to interview um because every piece of art 
in her home. You, you can see how much intent she she put into them. And she even at one point talked about, you know, because she went to design school and she was doing visual art, I think, graphics design. And then so so her a lot of her um friends and 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 um you know classmates at the time were artists in rising right but she didn't have the money but she would she would sometimes see an art and feel nothing and then she would turn around and see something that she she longed for but then she didn't have any money for it so then she would be like hey can we barter like can i make your business card and then in exchange for that piece of art so she has a lot of that that she got through that bartering process which also I thought, style yeah which i thought you know like it remind me reminded me of the the um what's it called the, the the ted talk where they they um give you like a paper pin or paper clip and then you just trade 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 and then you end up getting a house right right like and when I was watching that video, I was like, oh, God, how cool would it be? You know, like, what can I trade? How can I immerse myself in that creative, spontaneous environment to have yeah. all these, you know, intellectual stimulating uh, moments shared w- amongst each other? Anyways. Yeah, those are those are the c- kind of people that I look forward to, you know, interviewing most on sometimes not always, but on Collector Dream Radio is people that have these high level positions at, at big companies and big names and finding out that they collect this or they love this, or they're, they're interested in that. And those are the types of people that I think open up a lot of people's eyes to the idea of collecting something. And that I started this when I didn't have any money and now I have money and I'm still collecting the same stuff. And that's kind of the neat thing about collecting anything is you you can love vintage barware and you can love art and you can start anywhere in those places. You could love wine and you can start in any price point. You could be buying $10 bottles of wine from Trader Joe's and save them because it makes you happy and you could call yourself a collector. It doesn't matter how much you have or the value of what you have. Um, it just has to make you excited and and more curious each and every time that you go out to buy something yeah no it's a great way to put it um so yeah for anybody listening please check out collector's dream radio um thank you for conversations like this you know because i i just thought you know i remember when we were chatting i asked you like a question like why do you think people collect and 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 what's you know the most memorable thing you learn and it's really you know you wouldn't expect approaching these big names you know they're not very easily approachable but then when you get them really down to one theme they're oh i didn't i didn't realize i was a collector but they've been a collector all along and and i feel like that's the beauty of it we just live in a very you know small close-knit niche uh community of watches but there are so many other interesting people and stories that could be shared so um definitely check that out um, okay, so I want to move on to watches. Um, and and uh, I want to start with a question that Dan Long and I actually briefly talked about, which was, you know, kind of blowing up on social media. I don't know if you paid attention because you were so busy, you know, moving stuff. But um, the Tokyo exhibition for Patek Philippe, uh, mm. did you pay any sort of attention to that? And I, I got a little glimpse of 
a lot of it from social media <laughs> from yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. And and my question is, well, how how because we were talking about like what's the most memorable thing? What could have they done better? Um, and I kind of want to relate this to how content is being um absorbed and 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 uh as nutrients for for us now because we've been so um kind of exposed to the saturated um online community what do you think you know is the best way nowadays for people to consume media in a terms you know marketing way to to give off like the right branding message that they want to do and in that case do you think paddock did the right thing um i don't think anybody's necessarily doing the right thing or the wrong thing i just don't think a lot of people are doing it well um do i know what really they should be doing no i'm not a marketing genius i just know when something attracts me and attracts a lot of people and everyone is all in awe and excited over the same things right um i think the problem with any brand not just patek philippe is there's collectors like all three of you who are all amazing collectors, whether it's of the brand or of other brands. And I feel that they're including the wrong people sometimes in these sorts of events and exhibitions. This isn't just Patek, this is all brands. And I think that the marketing message is always still around celebrities. And I think that that is completely just of a different generation. It just doesn't hit the same way I think anymore. Um, and that's just me personally. I like to relate to people like you guys and who are great collectors and other people like Roni who are great collectors of all these things. These are the people that I think should be at the forefront of all these brands and at all these events. And these should be the, the people that are being photographed and filmed and commemorated at any exhibition, in my opinion, because they are the true collectors. It's very easy for any celebrity who has an indisposable income or a disposable income <laughs> to go out and just make the relationship and buy whatever they want. And we're talking about the same five to probably 10 people that everybody knows are the collectors and, and guys who get all these watches from all these brands. Not that someone like Roni would go out maybe and buy, you know, some of these ridiculous uh, concept pieces or overly large pieces. Those aren't really his style, you know, but, and they have to appeal to the people that will buy those watches. But I think that the overarching message of who is being talked to and who is being included and who is really being celebrated as a collector is not who I would envision to be the people. It's not that they're doing it right or wrong. It's just not how I feel a lot of these brands should be handling a lot of their messaging. But we're in modern times. They're making modern watches. A lot of great collectors aren't buying a lot of the modern watches that we know or that we pay attention to or that we're friends with. And so it just becomes a little uninteresting to me, unfortunately. A lot of the pieces don't resonate with me. There's very few pieces that were released this year that resonated with me. May never get to see one in person, may get to see one in person. So I don't lose sleep over it, you know? What is one piece that got released recently that really resonated with you? 
I loved the 35 millimeter Vacheron overseas that they did. I think that was such a great move on their part. I hope that they put that into like a full production model because that watch at 41 is great, but it wears a little large because of the case shape. And I think at 35 millimeters, that watch on a bracelet, rubber strap, leather strap is the perfect one watch collection for a lot of people. Can I just clarify, is this 35 like considered the woman's watch? Yeah, Lon, did you see it in yeah. person? So, because I I was just telling them on the other episode, I got invited to this Vacheron event. And as obviously, as usual, they have like the novelties and all the guys are rushing there. And then they put this section with some, just in the corner, basically, a bunch yeah. of female watches. And I didn't even think about going to look at it. It was just on the way out. I was like, whoa, it's actually really cute. So immediately I was like, okay, quartz, nothing against quartz, but I was like, but at least the... The overall design aesthetically looks super good. But I thought, whatever, I'll just try it. Tried it and I thought, wow, that is literally the best thing they released, even though they have the other like retrograde, like salmon dial, cool stuff going on. But this was aesthetically the nicest one ever. 100%. And at 35 millimeters, um, a lot of people aren't going to go for it, which I love because that gives yeah. people like me an opportunity to potentially get one. Um, and I just think that that was such a smart move. They're the only brand I think that's paying attention that smaller watches are becoming more and more accepted, celebrated, getting yeah. back to the roots of, of all these brands, especially them as being still part of the Holy Trinity. Mm-hmm. I think it was easily the most slept on big release, I think, of of the year. I have to say this is my first time or second time hearing about it. The first time was through, you know, our last conversation when Long told us about that. But I'm looking up the photo now. It's funny how the advertising Mm -hmm. photo of it is on a men's wrist. Mm. Yeah, it's super chic. Um, I think you wear that out. No one knows what that is. No one's going to look twice at you, which is great, right? Because you're wearing a brand like Vacheron on your wrist, which is could you easily be a target. Um, and I just think that it, it was just such a smart play. I don't think mm-hmm. there was like, they could have gone 36. They could, they've already done 37, right? They had a women's version in 37, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have easily just gone back to that size and tried to do an automatic movement, you know? Uh, or I think that 37 maybe did have an automatic movement, but they could have easily just done that. And, but they went even further back to like 35 or 34 and a half, whatever it is. And I just, I don't know, that just like struck a chord with me. Why, why do you think Vacheron? Well, right after we said that it's, I guess it's not good for me to ask you this question, but again, another thing we discussed earlier is like, why do you think Vacheron isn't sticking? It's just simply not sticking with people. Um, I think for a lot of reasons, I think obviously we're in the sport watch Mecca era of watches that people want and people want these big bulky things. And Vacheron's kind of just stuck to their roots and done dress watches. And there's probably a lot of people out there that have modern Vacheron dress watches, but they're so simple. A lot of them just time only watches that you probably don't even recognize. It could be 
I hate to say it, but it could be anything mm -hmm. if you're looking at it from afar. So I think, I think if they did all their dress watches in smaller sizes, mm -hmm. I actually think it would hit really well, but they're doing these dress watches in all these big sizes. And they're, they're really expensive in my opinion for yeah. what a lot of them are. Yeah. And I don't think that that resonates with a lot of people, not at least in this generation that we're in right now, because everything is either super high complication in a sports watch on a bracelet in steel. Mm -hmm. And the overseas is the only thing you get, which is great because they do it in a perpetual, mm -hmm. but a lot of people really don't know about it. And there's very few buyers that are going to go and buy, you know, a six figure perpetual calendar from a brand like that, when they could maybe go do that with Patek and, and AP that they've already resonated with. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I kind of wanted to say in the previous episode we recorded, which is the three of us, we kind of touched on the point about Vacheron being like a, uh, like, quote unquote, like cheaper version of like Patek. If you can't get mm -hmm. one, you will be like, yeah, this kind of has that aesthetic. And then you just go for that. But then you look at it and the finishing to me anyways, it doesn't justify the price that you pay. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think they're, I think their pricing is too high for a lot of things that you get. I think the overseas is actually priced very fairly for what you yeah. get in that watch, right? The the bracelet changing mechanism is great. Um, and I think that that is the perfect, one of the perfect one watch collections for a lot of people that mm -hmm. just want to have that versatility, but from a, a high horology brand like Vacheron, because you're not going to really get that many other places in a $25,000 price point, yeah. right? So I think that that's really the only watch that, hits with people, unfortunately, from them because, yeah, everything else is too expensive. I think anyone would much rather have a vintage Vacheron dress watch for a mm -hmm. quarter of the price than go and buy that when they could also go to Patek and, and buy a dress watch from them. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's just not competitive. Like, I think when we say things are expensive, I think it's relative because, you know, the value of something is is discerned by the buyer right of course sometimes we look at pieces and they sell for a certain thing we wouldn't buy them because we don't think it offers value but i think with vacheron they don't have a market leader in any category mm -hmm. you wouldn't want to like if you go sports watch you wouldn't go like oh we talk about the overseas we like it yeah but we also know here that it's not really competitive against the other sports watches in them in the market and everybody's like trying to go for that market right now and then if you talk about dress watch as well you think well are they the strongest probably not and if you talk about finishing you know langer probably takes mm -hmm. the you know top onto the conglomerate brands and so what what are you actually strong at you know it and then yeah. it i think it goes back to the story but i think oh, that yeah, which, on a strong story communications you know the, probably story, don't is, story, the story is what they try to nail at home every single time right you 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 hear about them talking about the heritage you see them showing you know all these historical artifacts and they do they do keep a very good record of their museum and their um their records but then you think paddock archives you know and, and yeah, exactly. on, it's just heritage yeah. is a prerequisite for any luxury brand yeah you know, unfortunately like Unfortunately, yeah. heritage is is just one little piece of the cake, and that used to work for a lot of people, right? When, when I think AP was trying to come out with these more uh, polarizing pieces, right? They were utilizing their their heritage to their benefit by showing you, look at how this has evolved, 
over time. Look at these concept pieces, but we're still taking this DNA and from from the very beginning of of the Royal Oak. And now we're making these crazy concept pieces that are insane looking and they're not for everybody, but it's a piece of art. So so you can see that transition, right? With Vacheron, you're just seeing a dress watch go from 31, 32, 33, all the way up to 40 millimeters. Like that's the transition that they've done. Sure, they've done some great complications. Don't get me wrong, but they've been doing those same complications mm -hmm. since the beginning. So there's nothing that's fresh and new and, and super exciting. I'd rather buy a vintage Vacheron perpetual calendar or annual calendar or time only dress watch mm -hmm. than buy a new one any day. I would actually rather, I would also do the same thing with the tech dress watches that are modern. I'd rather buy vintage Patek dress watches because I think the new ones are too big. It doesn't really do it justice in my opinion. I think it takes away from it. So that's kind of, I, I, I stay away from that market in general for, for modern dress. It just, none of it really resonates with me. So. Yeah. Long. Um, are we allowed to talk about AP and the thing that we, happened? We we are. That's one of the questions that, uh, in my quick fire. But if we wanted right. to talk about it now, we can talk about it. Yeah, because I just want to hear everyone's opinion. Sure. sure. Well, we for the listeners, because not all listeners. I, I guess yeah, you're talking about Sunny Boy Wang, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. I just want to, because, you know, this is a thing that happened in Asia. So I'm not sure it will make it through to uh, like North America or even Europe. But there was this, uh, yeah, this guy that Jacqueline's very fond of called Sunny Boy Wang. He's a celebrity <laughs> in Taiwan. You shake your head, but we all know you're in love with him, Jack. Um, I know she's, we know she's blushing. Him. Yeah, she's we blushing. know you've been slipping into his DMs, sliding into his DMs, I should say. Slipping. And, <laughs> and uh, basically... Uh, you should go watch the video camera. I'll send you the link later. Yeah, you have to watch. Oh it. yeah, it's all in English, so yeah. you can watch it. Um, and basically, he's an AP, I guess, VIP. Previously, uh, he sold two of his watches after two years he of owning traded, it. Traded, traded. Okay, he traded. He traded. Well, he traded and added money to get two better pieces, quote unquote, better pieces for him. And the brand found out and uh, weren't happy with him and basically disinvited him from um, an event in Tokyo. And then he got angry with that because uh, he felt he was disrespected. And uh, it, it, he, he just basically calls out the game of waiting for pieces from AP and, and for most brands, I guess, and then getting tired of it and having to play this game. And then in the end, he just goes, oh, you know, by the way, I feel so good to say this. I hate that Marvel stuff. I hate that <laughs> spider. I hate that panther. I don't know what they were doing, you know. And he says, I feel so good that I can say it. And he's basically saying that, you know, any brand can't buy your freedom of speech kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but having said that, like, I don't know how he collects. This is all coming from him. You know, I don't know if he traded more, what actually happened, you know, but it's him just saying it. So that's what's come out. Obviously, that kind of stuff really picks up. Um, he already had a channel that talked about watches. So it, it would be like us putting something out like that. And so it's just blown up. And even I looked at uh, someone's story today and it said that it was picked up by mainstream TV. So the TV news channels were talking about it as well. Not shocked. Yeah. So that's what it was about, Cam. Yeah. Got it.
Are we are we allowed to share our opinions? Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. I'll start first since yeah. I'm clearly so smooned by him. On him. Yeah. <laughs> um I think he made that video and he, he there there was a sent there was a, a sentence he said he was like, "So what do you guys think? Should I sell all my APs mm. now that I'm so done with the brand?" I think Prior to him making the video, he already made up his mind. He's mm-hmm. going to sell all his APs. And this is just going to be another clickbaity, you know, video for his 200K YouTube subscriber uh, channel. And it's great content, obviously, because people are picking on it. Is it relevant? Very much so. And he made very good points. But first things first, my first reaction when watching this was like, like, oh, like, wow first world problems (laughs) right like you obviously don't know how privileged you are to be even getting uh, being offered these pieces in the first place and the reason why you were offered these pieces in the first place most of them has to do with your celebrity status Mm -hmm. right has to do with who your wife is who's also a celebrity and also like you've made plenty of content off of the brand over the past few years so don't act as if you weren't you know ever at an advantageous um position or you didn't gain anything from it right he didn't touch on any of that he made him look like oh i so i was so disrespected i was you know you know i can't live with the fact that come on you also benefited from it so that's my first reaction like you're very privileged all these people talking about oh yeah like ap offering me pieces at retail or buying these like double balanced diamond encrusted bezels you're in a very privileged position to say that you know a lot of people aren't in your position secondly Mm -hmm. but he does make very relevant points because you do get the sense of the so-called like hold to your grave type thing when you buy from an ad these days and it shouldn't be that way because people's tastes change um and uh you have the freedom to do whatever you want and it is ridiculous to think that you beg that i he also used the word beg an ad for a watch that you buy with your own hard-earned money <laughs> to be told what you can and cannot do that right. is ridiculous. And it's ridiculous that, you know, the brand tells you basically unspokenly, yeah, you're not supposed to sell it. Um, if you do, you're you're basically like done. Um, yeah. so that that's that's my impression. And then with the whole Marvel thing, I just laughed. When Dan sent me the link, he was like, watch it till the end, watch it till the end. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm watching. <laughs> and then when I watched it the end, I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's great. And then he, he even hit, he was like, oh, I don't, and I don't know why I was so scared of saying that, but I hate the Marvel series. And I'm like, you know, yeah. I get it. Like, I don't, I also don't know why they exist. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, th- I think there's two major points here. One, I think he was kind of not thinking too much when he decided to go public about that saying, you know, uh, arguing the fact that he sold his watches, right? He obviously is a watch guy. He likes watches. He potentially just shot himself in the foot for many other brands to let him buy from them. Number one, hopefully not because I think the whole 
game is is really stupid and and inconvenient and childish and whatever um the other thing is is that touching more on on the whole game and uh you know spending money at an ad it's all great if you have it and you can do it and you can make a great relationship and you get the call each time that a watch has come in that you wanted and it's often and you're the person that's great there's no doubt about it that's how it should be if you spend enough money with the brand you should absolutely and you have the relationship you should 150 percent any day of the week be getting the call to get something the silly part is depending on the brand there's obviously a whole gray market which is where most of the watch world thrives off of buying their pieces so all these watches are getting sold to these people under all these false promises that they're going to hold on to them and they're never going to sell them. And then people get stuff and they sell it the same day, right? Like I'm in a lot of groups, as I'm sure you guys are, where you'll get stuff and, and the cards are dated for the same day. So someone just bought it and went and sold and is selling it. That's great. It's a, If that's their business or they just want to make a profit and they don't care about the relationship, go ahead. But the brands know that. And they know that this is happening, yet they're sticking to their guns so much that we need to continue doing business this way. It's never going to change, unfortunately. There's always going to be people that buy a watch, either don't want it or buy it to sell it, and they get the call, and they know they're going to go make a few bucks on it, and it's going to happen. So I think the brands need to stop having these expectations of all of our all of our clients need to hold on to their watches, and we need to put a stronghold on them that they never sell it. If you own it, you own it. Go and do whatever you want with it. If if you have a great relationship and it's not the watch and you want to go and be honest and tell the dealer like, hey, I just want to be honest. I, I thought I liked it. It's not for me anymore. I did sell it, but I want to keep the relationship going because this is what I do want to work towards or this is the watch that I do actually think I want. That's one thing, but there's always going to be people doing this and I don't understand why the brands are having such a hard time grasping that it's going to keep happening. And it's going to get, as as the population grows, there's going to be more and more money probably, which means there's going to be more and more buyers doing the same thing. And it obviously bothers collectors like, like me and other people who do want to go walk into an AD and buy some things. Because for, for people to be so uptight about having to have these things for their whole life, it's, it's, it's a... It's really like a a false promise because things change. Sometimes people need to let go of a watch. Sometimes people are put in financial positions that they need to let go of something. And now they're being punished by brands because they had they they had their back up against the wall in a situation and had to let go of something. And I just think it's a really silly way to do business. It's really not a good way to be competitive with other brands either, I don't think. So I think um I think the whole the whole story is like it's funny to people like us. I think that that's the the moral is like we look at this and like wow, good for him for saying what he wanted to say. But now you look back at all of his content and it's like did he really like these pieces that he was buying or was he just doing this for content, for clout, for purchase history? If he's just willing to throw that all all away because the brand got mad at him. I'm sure that they could have probably worked something out. I would like to think that they could have worked something out and put egos aside. Do you uh, think? Oh yeah, Dan, go ahead. 
No, I, I think it's a sad story, I guess, on both sides. I mean, first of all, um, when I hear like I got disrespected, it just sounds like you said, Jack, very like privileged. Like <laughs> even if you are a yeah. celebrity, who, the, who who do you think you are? <laughs> like yeah. I got disrespected by a brand. I mean, that's if if I said that in a bunch of my friends, that they, they would like cringe. <laughs> They'd be yeah. like, who are you, Dan? <laughs> like what <laughs> they wouldn't even like think get that concept well you know what it would have um, you know it would have been a probably more perspective like, you know, you know it would have been like a more stand-up thing to do is is he should have went to a brand like patek and told them what happened and been honest and sat down with them and created a relationship with them and got a watch that he really wanted from patek because he seems like the type of person that could get whatever he wants right pretty much he should have went and done that and then he should have quietly thrown that in AP's face if he wanted to make a stink about it. If he wanted to do that. The whole public thing, to me, doesn't prove a point because we all know what the game is. We all know that most people don't like this Marvel watch. And we all know that A-list celebrities, even B-list celebrities, that get access yeah, I, to these I wouldn't pieces. consider him an A-list, by the way. He's like... Yeah, I don't, I don't know who, who he is necessarily, but... You know, we don't know him as well as you, Jack. That's the thing. <laughs> He's like at best a B list, really. Okay. Right, we but wouldn't so, know, like we said. Yeah. So these people are still getting access to these pieces, and I think at the end of the day, it's like this is obviously an ego thing. Um, I think well, so. Also, I don't believe that he didn't have those. Uh, there's a lot of stuff he says that I have a question mark over. Which is, first of all, the pieces he has on that table. Are they all his? Because getting yeah. pieces of friends and putting them on there and say, I switched up. Yeah, okay, you say that. It doesn't mean it's true. You, maybe it is true. I don't know, right? But to not have that conversation, to get disinvited and say, by the way, I traded up. You know, or it, is that... We don't know really what happened behind the scenes. And in terms of a brand, uh, you know, doing their business, the way they do it, how we know the game to be, just as much as... Uh, I guess, you know, you have a right to decide where your money goes. The brand also has a right to sell you something or not sell you something, I guess, right? It may, we may not like that, you know, but how they do business is that's the way, right? And yep. to them, it must make sense from a primarily point of view, from a bottom line way, right? You know, they have to be profitable before everything. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I guess it makes sense that they can, that maybe they can do that. We don't like it, but it's the way they've chosen to do it. And you know, luxury is a is an industry which, you know, like any other industry, you can't really compare it to other goods that are being sold. You know, it, it's in yeah. that thing, and uh, they can do it. They do it. Whether we don't like yeah. it, it still happens. You know, so it's yeah. sad. It's a it's truth, the same with any industry. Sad, you know? Yeah, it's the same thing with any luxury industry. It's it's money talks and it's who you know and it's what kind of relationship you have and yeah. it's who you are as a person in in your in your career and uh at 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 the lowest level in a lot of these cases is it the actual relationship that you have with the people that work there in a lot of these cases yeah i think the highest the highest factor is you know yeah yeah exactly luxury is about exclusivity and once you have that the whole point of exclusivity is that it's not inclusive <laughs> yeah <laughs> right? exactly long what's your what's your yeah. opinion 
this is really harsh though and i really hope he never listens to this because right because you actually know him yeah and in a special way as well um anyways oh in the special (laughs) way yeah um i feel like money brings out like money's not evil right um but it brings out the worst or the best in you and in this kind of situation i just feel like um I mean, this is exactly the thing that infuriates me about the hobby. And that's why it's killing me. Because I think that um, everyone, not everyone, the people that feel self-entitled and then they they tell you like, no, I'm a nobody, blah, blah, blah. But your actions like speak louder in the words, right? How you behave and how you react to a situation. It just shows you everything. So when I watched the whole video, I wasn't like, oh, is it AP's fault? Is it his fault? I was just like, okay, like, it doesn't matter like what words you say, but the fact that you one created the video um, when you could have quietly like walked away from the situation. And then two, mm, the, I think when someone goes out of their way to attack someone else, I just think that's like, it's just like childish. Yeah. I just feel like this is exactly what Jacqueline said. First world problems. It's just watches. Like, why are you behaving like that? Yeah. But as a, as a, at the end of the day, as a, as a consumer who was purchasing heavy duty pieces from these brands, yeah, he's not stupid. He knows the rules that they, that they exactly. try to abide by. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Like it, exactly. it, it, if, if no one else is getting away with it, he's not going to get away with it. And I know in Asia, like you don't even need to talk to the the CEO or whatever your sales. You can definitely have this kind of conversation with them when you're like, Hey, it's okay. I don't want anything this year. Um, just give it to someone else. Or you can say, Hey, I'm gonna, is it bad if I sell it? Will, will it like, are there consequences for you? You can have these conversations. I mean, all of us collectors talk about like building a relationship with the sales. Yeah. Then do your part, right. Build a relationship, communicate, and then work with them. Instead of being like, it's one-sided, you have to work with me. You have to give me pieces. Yep. No doubt. Yeah. He does mention something in the video, right? Where he's fully aware because he said, I spoke to friends and dealers and I've had the watches for two. He knew the risk, right? So it's not like he says it wasn't communicated. Yeah, it's not communicated, but like it actually is because communication is you, someone doesn't have to verbally say it, right? But you get the message sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm not happy with you, you pretty much know from my body language, I didn't say it to you, but you'll know, right? Yeah. And he, he, I I just find it hard to believe that if you've got that, if you're that so far into it, you don't know, (laughs) like you Mm -hmm. do know. It's, but it's bogus. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that you... left us a sour note. Do you know what kind of, uh, I'm thankful that like uh, all three of you didn't, like actually we were all consistent in our thoughts, right? Because mm. if it was like, oh, you know, oh, AP, yeah, yeah, I'm t- it'd be like, yeah, actually, maybe, you know what I mean? Like you're not maybe not on the same wavelength. Well, and it's like, read the room. It's like, read the room, right? You're, you're, you're complaining to a bunch of other people who follow you who don't have a lot of them who don't have as much yeah. money as you and you're complaining about these watches it's like yeah. at the end of the day people are just going to look at you like just be a man you know just just yeah. just be a man go spend your money elsewhere show people what you got if that's what you want to do and mm-hmm. and move on 
Yeah. And since we're playing the game, like since we gave AP some good PR, just just saying that, you know, I am on the list of like waiting for a piece from AP. So, you know, get some, posit get some positivity there. Maybe you could bump me up a little bit. You know, I haven't really complained. Yeah, yeah. I don't really want to do a video like him. But, you know, <laughs> you're, but you're, you're, waiting on the, you're waiting on the Spidey watch. <laughs> yeah. Dan yeah. makes a video. Um, Three years, still not enough for you. <laughs> um, okay, well, I do want to ask like another question, but it's not very positive, and I hate to leave it not like on a very positive note. That's right. Let's answer. We'll yeah, answer on the podcast. We deal with difficult questions. Okay. Do you think, Cam, and and to you know both Long and Dan, um, that this clout thing will ever get better because like you said like it's it's about exclusivity it's not inclusive and people want to yeah. show that they can get whatever um, ap's royal oaks at retail or you know paddock's nautilus is at retail yeah but do you think going forwards this will ever you know resolve or whatever uh can truthfully yes oh please. yeah I'll tell you, I just had the worst phone conversation with a brand in Hong Kong. I mean, the brand, uh, but their um, their headquarters in Hong Kong about the situation where they're like, can you kind of like guide us with the guest list for the sit down dinner? And they told me who they've invited. And I've literally like, I couldn't even control myself. I was just like, yeah, this is why the brand is dying. <laughs> like, I cannot help you because you're inviting a bunch of people and everyone else that I would genuinely want to go to this dinner with are not being invited. And they're like, why can, can you just explain it? And I was like, okay, when there's a photo of this girl wearing this watch that like pops up on IG, I immediately get a bunch of messages from guys who will say things like, why are you taking a photo with her? It's embarrassing. And you're making yourself look really bad. I was like, here's an example. Do you get it now? They're like, no, <laughs> we don't get it. <laughs> So I think the brand, um, especially because the headquarters are not in Asia. So I'm only speaking for Asia, right? So they get these, um, they get these um, instructions to be like, I need this KPI, I need sales to happen. Mm -hmm. This is the mm -hmm. budget, you need to invite these people. And they will, so the watches will continue going to this group of people. And there's no other way to like put it other than they have money. And right. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And and my take on it is that this has actually been going on for forever. Right. Mm. It, it's just it's just we're getting more involved in a industry that that most people are not getting involved in. Right. It's the same thing with cars and art and wine and and all these other tangible assets. Right. Car brands have continuously put out all these expensive models, right? They're, they're really, really top tier, top of the line, right? Like a, a Porsche 911 GT3 RS, very mm -hmm. few made, top clients get it. You are not going to be a new client walking in there with that cash and getting on the list. You mm -hmm. you may get lucky, but like these these things are already spoken for. And, and, it's, and, and it's been that way for a really, really long time with anything luxury, right? Unless things go to auction. So- I don't see it getting any better. Um, I just hope we all make a lot more money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> good, good, good. Okay, well, that is the end of the first round. I hope you guys have fun listening to us. You know, give lo- loads of PR for brands um, that we do not get enough sponsorship for, for a good reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're consistent. Yeah, one, we're not consistently yeah. saying yeah. everyone's great. That's why um, we're like pretty yeah. honest and say, yeah, they fucked up there. Yeah. <laughs> I wish, um, I wish heritage departments had their own marketing budget so they could sponsor people. That would be a good move. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, that's actually one of the quick fire questions, by the way. Um, let's go into the reversal round. So Cam, fire away. All right. What's a watch that each of you actually despise, but you think would look good on your wrist? Oh, despise. Okay, I know. This is one of those where I thought that long one was going to have to like edit the pause. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I'll tell you because I walk by the store nearly every day, and it's getting demolished right now. <laughs> um, Frank Mueller. They're mm. in central Hong Kong, and it's like closing down, renovating. And I remember um, when I was younger, the crazy hours was like a big thing. And it was like in my head, like, okay, the ultimate watch, I had to have it, blah, blah, blah. Um, So I used to always wear uh, my mom, my aunt's ones. And then I'll be like, okay, this is it. Yeah. And I actually think it looks okay. I mean, it's still really popular in Japan. It is. Yeah. So uh, would I be embarrassed to wear it? Like, yeah, I'll be really embarrassed. But like... (laughs) I don't think it looks bad, bad. No, yeah. no, it, it does look good on the wrist for sure. Yeah. How about you two over there? All right, Roger Dubuis fans, come on. <laughs> <laughs> look, yeah, you know that I had to bring one back from Hong Kong the other day, long right, yeah. and I, and I refused to wear it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I refused to wear it, like so. I ended up wearing no watch. Right, I prefer to go bare wristed than wear a Roger Dewey like on my wrist. Yeah, oh. but uh, I'm yeah. talking about the modern ones, the modern ones, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, I haven't got a problem with the vintage ones, but um, I guess the answer to the question, right? It's really, really tough, but kind of like the Rolex Daytona, right? Not because I, you know, I think it looks great on the wrist, but for but a you hate period, that you I can't guess, get it. <laughs> what is that that is it's the it's the uh you can't really wear that watch without people like straight away having a prejudice against you on 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 that watch right but if you just look at the watch right it is good like i'm talking about the ceramic on the the old one Mm -hmm. right the ceramic Mm -hmm. with the white the panda like i hate that it's like got that messaging that 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 feeling around it you know doesn't really say a lot you know about you because everybody wants one you know all of that that kind of stuff i really don't like yeah but as a watch i really like it yeah yeah and i think it would look good i mean it looks good on most people's wrists but i hate the entourage the the, everything that goes with it you know that watch that's what i hate about it yeah understood you stole my answer i was gonna say the new le mans daytona Oh, that's a good but answer. Now, no, that's, that's, a, that's yeah. a good answer, though. Yeah, because well, first of all, I, 
I, I agree with what everyone, everything Dan just said. I think Daytona's look great on the wrist, you know, aside from the Tiger one that Long really likes. Um, but I think it's very ergonomic. The case size is great. You know, it's like mm-hmm. 40 or 41. But I I really don't like what they did with that new Le Mans white gold one. I think it's... I thought it was a cop-out. There's no thought. About, uh, Red 100. Oh, it just really ruins it. Yeah, because it's so yeah. lopsided. Yeah. And yeah. the only part of the red is the Daytona bit, which is the special part. And you take it away from that. But you, it's, it's just not symmetrical. It's just like out to the side. And it, but it's so eye-catching, that red. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, I, I would just do my head in. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to get one anyway, so I can say whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but um, yeah, that would be mine. But then can I just very, very quickly say I was uh, in New York very recently and I was in uh, the office of a well-known auction house um, where they were um, looking at one of their like online sales. And the talk that went down in that office i think that would make a very good episode it's basically sales um uh like specialists uh commenting just how bad the tastes of their bidders are like (laughs) who would bid on this watch oh look an exceeded (laughs) estimate by 300 (laughs) percent, and i loved it it was like the one of the best moments i had in new york um and then they were like why would they even consign this kind of watch on in our sale but look it exceeded our estimate um so just goes to show you you know there's a watch for everybody out there well Um, yeah for sure the eye of the tiger i say would look good on long long she said long long loves it yeah no no, long long pull that off i I, there's no way i could man i mean that that watch comes Mm -hmm. on what rubber like a normal bracelet and a diamond encrusted bracelet i think she could i think long long i i know long you like like the older version but then the newer version would look killer yeah. I that one I've actually seen in in the metal, and you gotta give it to Rolex. Their gem quality, yeah. like how white the yeah the diamond um is, it's you have to see. Yeah, it. it's it's impeccable. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even a fan of that stuff. Right, like anything gem set, I I kind of like run me neither the other way. Me but, neither, dude. Like in the last auction, we had this. Uh, yeah, it was New York. It was this Submariner. But it was like gem setted in mm. blue, it had blue dial, right? And then it had like the blue bezel, and then the the fifteen bit was lighter. I actually thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I thought, <laughs> wow, that's cool. I would rock that. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah, I thought it was cool. Like, but I was like, I've never really seen gem sets like that. So I, even I was like, uh, what's wrong with me? Am I getting older? Is that is this is this a sign of me getting older? <laughs> <laughs> this is like a midlife crisis thing. Yeah, is this a midlife yeah, crisis moment exactly. that I need to rein in? No, no, no. I, you, you, we. I think we all have to give it to Rolex for their gem quality. It's like I'm not a gem diamond person, but yeah. then when you see it in person, it's it's undeniable. Yeah, yeah that's that's we a have good to thank, word. Uh, thank our mystery sapphire dealer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, another question or? Yeah, light it up. Um, so we're in the quick fire now, right? Um, okay. What we'll kind of discuss this. Like, what what's the most underappreciated brand right now, in your opinion? Hmm. Um, 
That's really hard to say because I don't know of a brand that's doing things well on all fronts, right? Like I think Vacheron, like I said, crushed it with that overseas. There are other pieces kind of meh, you know, um, Rolex is doing nothing different in my opinion. Patek came out with some interesting Aquanauts, you know, um, and AP <laughs> is like doing the same stuff. So I don't, I, it's really hard for me to say, like, I'd, I'd love to say, um, Cartier, I mean, Cartier is coming out with some, some great stuff, but it's really their, their limited line. That's great. Right. Like, I thought you were going to say like Piaget because you own several Piagets, right? Or owned. Yeah. I Um, I love Piaget, but again, I think their, their pieces are too big. Like all those stone dial polos that they did, like those should have been sized down seven millimeters. Yeah. And those would have been perfect. I would have been lusting after each and every one trying to collect each and every one, but they're too big. So I'm just like, I've tried them on before and it's kind of like, it, it it makes me feel vindicated that I don't feel the need to go and buy them. Um, do I appreciate them? Is the quality great? Is is the design great? Sure. But they ruin it when it's like a TV, like sitting on your wrist with this big stone dial and a quadruple step case. And, you know, it's hard to say a brand that's doing things great on all fronts. I think Cartier is always a great brand, right? Because you can always go buy a tank. You can always go buy a Santos, even though I don't, love a lot of the new Santos is on the bracelet. I think a lot of them are too big, maybe the 35 millimeters. Okay. But again, I can't think of a brand that I like go on their website and I'm like, you're doing everything great. Even Rolex, right? All their sports models are great. But on that new, note, that's why the dress podcast exists is to provide those opinions and, and help for brands whenever you need us so you know yes. feel free to reach out to, to us and that's the whole reason why cam is on, on I'm, I'm like, it's, it's obviously clear is doing it great that's why we <laughs> exist it's obviously clear that like i'm never getting on an ad list because of <laughs> like how how honest i am i think about certain things but i'm, I'm obviously okay with that um but again like even look at someone like rolex What's the new dress watch? Like the 1921 or something they put out? 1908, whatever the year was. Like, okay, cool. Is it great? No. Are there other watches? Great. Sure. A Samariner's never wrong. A Daytona's never wrong. Maybe a white gold one's a little bit wrong. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but like, do I appreciate all brands and everything they put out? Sure. In my eyes, is anybody covering all the bases no mm. unfortunately you you okay you interviewed uh todd levin who's a yes. big independent uh watch collector in mm. the independent scene what do you think of the rise of independence and what brand do you think is actually not bad um i i, I love the idea of the independent scene but I love the idea of the independent scene like 10, 15 years ago mm. when, when it was accessible for everybody. There weren't all these lists per se for, for certain brands, right? 
now, even though they're independent, they've also become mm. a listed, you know, wait, you know, no pun intended, but a waiting list. <laughs> uh, you know, they've you all, all plugging our show. You keep plugging yeah. our show. <laughs> That's the reason. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, th- I appreciate all them. I think they're all doing it right. I don't think any independent is really doing it wrong because they all have their own style. So it's really hard for me to say that they're doing it wrong. Are there ones that don't speak to me as much? Sure. Are there ones that do speak to me a lot more? Absolutely. Right. So it's hard for me to, I don't think any of them are doing it wrong because that's the lane that they've chosen to take from the, from the beginning. Mm. So I think they're all doing a great job. I, I applaud all of them. Um, they've all kind of, made names for themselves, uh, which is, I guess, the point of being independent, right? Without all this external marketing and and all this stuff and everything is just kind of hearsay or not hearsay, but word of mouth. Mm-hmm. I love now Yahida. I think if there's one brand that is still semi-accessible, that everybody who has enough money to buy one, that is a brand that you all have a chance at getting a watch at or from. Mm, mm. And I think his pieces are impeccable. I think he's got the background to make a great watch. Um, I think he does make a great watch. He does favorable sizing. And I think he's doing interesting things that nobody else is really doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his uh, selection process is really fair. Super fair. He puts out a list. I'm making this many watches. Here's the price. Open the floodgates. Yeah. Okay, uh, next question. Um, and this is the one I said earlier that we were going to ask you, which is uh, what is one model of any brand that you think their heritage department should bring back into their modern capsule? Hmm. As like a mainstay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So many. <laughs> um. I would love to see, and this may feel like a cop-out, but I would love to see Cartier produce more Centres. I think a Centre should not be a limited edition watch. I think they've done it so many times. They've done so many limited editions. I think that if the Tank American could be a mainstay, I think that a Cartier Tank Centre should also be a mainstay. It's just as important as a Santos, which they have uh, in terms of brand uh, uh, brand model history. It's just as important as a Tank Louis is. Um, I think there's no reason that a Tank Centray should not be a mainstay in their collection, whether it's the list price of the, the CPCP ones they did at like 17, 18, 20K, whatever it was. Sure, that's fine. But that's a watch that deserves to be on a lot of people's wrists that appreciate it because it is that special. I don't think that's a cop-out uh, answer at all. I um, had the opportunity. I was I was trying on a Centre today, earlier today. Mm. Which the, one? The um, 100th anniversary one. And it just bothers me that you can't get that case shape because, sure, you can customize, order a Centre, but then you don't get that extra thin case profile. And uh, I think that is the beauty of Cartier shapes, you know, the thinness. 
and in the classic um, overall design. Couldn't agree more. Great. This um, just came in my head, right? Yeah. But maybe it's just this podcast. But if any of us make it in some like high level, powerful position in the watch industry, yeah, can we sort each other out <laughs> like with pieces? <laughs> 100 percent because it is relationship and exclusivity so jack yeah. long long cam you know if you if you somehow become someone important yeah like yeah, yeah sort me out <laughs> and 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 i can promise zero percent financing over 80 years <laughs> oh, wow wow <laughs> whoa nice whoa that you've taken you've, t- you've taken it there right there yeah you heard it here first on the podcast yeah <laughs> <laughs> you have it on record yeah if you if you were to become like a head of sales or head of design of a brand, what what brand would you choose to overlook? Mm. Selfishly, I I would you know love to say Cartier just because I love them so much, but I think I think Longa. Mm. Yeah, wow. because I think they get it. I get it. I think they get it from. Let's just even take the Longa one. Right. They also do the little longer one. They also do the 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 larger model. Yeah. The grand or grand or however you want to pronounce it. Yeah. And they've somehow come up with a way, and I've talked about this before, to make a dial that's asymmetrical feel right. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way that they've designed everything, I think it would be just like a really seamless kind of thing to come into where you don't have to change much and all you have to do is continue just to produce and and do interesting things with existing models and new things too but i just think they're so capable on so many aspects as a brand and and have the history and um and and the technical technical prowess to make something always compelling and interesting mm. I, I think that's a great answer. Um, I would love a little longer one. I love that watch. Yeah. It's a great size for you. Yeah. Be a little, little buddy for me. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe listen to this show. So maybe they can sort you out. Yeah. 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 Actually. Yeah. Like listen, ca- catch on one of the episodes we're going to do later on. And maybe, yeah. um, so uh last question which is something that elvin chon at uh watchrology asked during mm-hmm. his interview with us um if you could participate in the nso program for cartier and design your perfect cartier what model and what design would you choose um i would go between a Cloche and a crash. Either one, I would do in rose gold with a chocolate dial. On either one, I just love that combo. Um, I think I haven't really seen it, and the the only thing that I hesitate with the cloche is I don't know. I've ne- I haven't tried the the new limited release on. I don't know if it's too big for for what it should be it's not it's not okay so either one of those whichever they'd be willing to give me i'd be happy with either a crash is obviously end game for a lot of cartier lovers and so i think either of those in rose gold with like a grainy textured 
chocolate dial would be pretty much perfect for me. Yeah. And then on like a glossy dark brown alligator strap. And then I swap it out also for some interesting stuff. Yeah. What what material would you choose for the crown? Because it's rose gold. You can choose a lot of different things as opposed to platinum. Yeah. I I kind of would just stick with the the sapphire cabochon. Mm. Like it's just it's that little touch of classic Cartier mm. that I don't think needs to be changed. I think a I think a ruby cabochon on that wouldn't work too well. Yeah. Potentially emerald. Yeah. Would work. Green, green and brown go good together. If they could somehow do a brown one, that would be really interesting. Mm. Um, but I would be totally okay with a sapphire cabochon. I think it's that little little nod that that, you know, it's 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 perfect. It's right at home. It's where it should be. Mm-hmm. No, it's great. Um and then, so that's the one that you decided to share with the public, and then maybe, um... yeah. yeah, yeah, someone's gonna do it now. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> now that's I'm all okay. sorts of screwed. You, you have you have plenty of ideas. Yeah, um, well, there is that guy that um on on Instagram who who makes all those custom Cartier. Uh, yeah, uh, his profile. Bjorn. Like, Bjorn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he. I asked him to do. I. I it, it was either a crash or a cloche. I can't remember. And he made it in a in rose gold with chocolate. So if if someone hasn't done it yet, then that's on them. Yeah. No. Um, well, you heard it here first. Thank you. Thank you, Cam, for, for coming on for part de. Um, and I feel like we already we had a feeling that this was gonna go great. Thank you so much for <laughs> sharing all those stories with us. Of course. Um, Honor, pleasure. Thank you for for asking me to come back and um Hopefully we can do it more often. And next time I'm in Asia, I'll be hitting the two of you up so we can get together and uh, have a drink and a cigar or something. Wait, what about me? <laughs> oh, you can come. I... But I'm not in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> I will no, be. I, know, I know I'll see you on the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. sure, for sure. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. Again, last but not least, please check out Cameron at uh, his Instagram at um, Cameron Ross Steiner and also his Collector's Gene Radio. Um, we'll see you on the next one. Bye. 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 Thanks so much. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.